My name is JT Wistersill, and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. On today's show, recapping week 10 of the NFL season. Then we're moving on to the NBA trades. The trade embargo was finally lifted, and we saw a ton of action across the league. And finally, we're going to be recapping the draft, who I thought were some of the bigger winners, the losers, and just what I thought about the majority of the big name picks in that regard. But as always, we shift back to last week's Thursday game in which the Colts clobbered the Titans 34 to 17. Now, this game started out close with the Titans scoring three out of three out of their first four possessions and they jumped out to a 17 to 3 lead early in the half. But the Colts were able to claw their way back into it a little bit. It ended up being 17-13. And then the second half came, and the Colts' D completely shut down the Tennessee Titans' rushing attack. They were inept for the rest of the night. Titans couldn't get it going through the air. They held A.J. Brown to one reception for 27 yards, and he only had that on his first catch of the game on the first drive. So they did a great job there. Tannehill was limited to under 150 passing yards, so they did a great job there as well. And DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard, this young Colts secondary with Xavier Rhodes, Julian Blackman it's just it's playing like the best defense in the league and they continue to play lights out and extremely impressive for the Colts offense I was very impressed by Naeem Hines who had 115 total yards and two touchdowns and you also got to give credit to the Colts special teams units who they had a punt block for the first touchdown of the half and then when the Colts went and drove them down the field for their second touchdown that kind of really blew the game up and Really, the Titans could never recover after that blocked punt right there. Phil Rivers also had a good day. 300 yards, moved the ball very well through the air, so give him credit too. So a nice win for the Colts, and the Titans continue to kind of spiral out of control here. But moving on, we have the Browns barely squeezing out a win versus the Texans, 10-7. to This was a really crappy, there was just tons of crappy weather, and it led to a really crappy game when you get a 10-7 to score when you have two pretty good offenses here. It started out with a lightning delay. There was a little bit of rain in the first quarter once they were able to resume, and it was really windy for the rest of the day, so it made it hard for both teams to kind of get offense going. But they were able to get ball, the ball moving early, both sides were. The Browns drove right down and got into the red zone, but then you had an intentional grounding penalty on Baker because of a bad snap. He just tried to throw it away, led to an early field goal for them and the Texans get in there and they try to go for it on fourth down run the QB draw spread the receivers out wide but Miles Garrett read it all the way got made a big play there and like I said both teams really struggled all day long but one guy who was great for the Browns to have back was Nick Chubb he had 126 rushing yards and a touchdown so really good to have him back should have had two touchdowns very unselfish of Nick to run out of bounds right there he made the right play also Kareem Hunt continues to be extremely impressive he had 104 rushing yards and had 20 plus yards on the ground as well Watson was meh it's it's hard when they still don't have a great run game with David Johnson out Duke Johnson is his backup and is definitely even worse than him there but the Texans got outgained by 100 yards on offense 356 for the Browns 243 for them and the rushing yards Browns 231 to the Texans 90 you're not going to win many football games when you lose so lopsided in those two categories so props to the Browns who continue to win kind of these ugly games or they're kind of up and down lose to the Raiders a few weeks ago but getting Chubb back is a huge huge deal for them now for our next game we have the Lions holding on late versus the Washington football team, 30-27. to The Lions jumped out to a huge lead early. There was 24-3 to with eight minutes left in the third quarter. But then what happened? Alex Smith got going. He threw for a career-high 390 yards, and they went on a 21-0 run, courtesy of Smith. Antonio Gibson continues to play well. Terry McLaurin made some nice plays. And Lance Thomas, their tight end, he really broke out, kind of came out of absolute nowhere. So he continues to play well and impress also. And... 
as things just kept progressing, you get the Lions were able to stabilize their offense and they were able to move the ball a little bit again late after letting that massive Washington comeback come in. And you get the 59-yard field goal from Prater, which was huge for them as, that, as they get the walk-off win, holding on barely for that 30-27 win. For them, DeAndre Swift was really impressive with 149 yards and one touchdown. He continues to evolve into a complete back. He's as best as a receiver right now, but continues to get better running the ball too. Stafford, 276 yards and three touchdowns, and that was with no Galladay. Also, props to the Lions offensive line for only letting Stafford get sacked one time against a really good Washington front seven. So, a nice win for the Lions. They were able to hold on, and the Washington football team is just another one of those NFC East teams, or least teams, as we should really be calling them. But speaking of those NFC least teams, we have the Giants st- st- stopping the Eagles 27-17. to The Eagles offense just still isn't very good. They got Alshon Jeffrey back. It looked like they would gotten a few guys on the offensive line back, but still just three points in the first half. So it was really rough. They did come out of the second half and scored on their first two possessions, giving them their 17-point total. But as they only scored 17 in the game, they got shut out for the remainder with 5.30 left in the third quarter. They never even scored a field goal again. And the biggest reason for that was this Giants defense that continues to really impress. You got Leonard Williams, who had five QB hits and two tackles in this game and continues to really dominate. He's a physical freak who can play on the edge or in the interior, which is a huge thing for this Giants D-line. Gives him some versatility. And and guys like Logan Logan Ryan continue to play well. Jabril Peppers looks pretty good. We talked about James Bradbury, Blake Martinez. I'm just really impressed by this Giants defense and the culture that Joe Judge is installing. And as for the Eagles offense, once again, getting guys back healthy. Fletcher Cox doesn't look to be the same. Darius Slay doesn't look to be the same either. This young secondary, this, this defense with some veterans on it, was showing their agent. But I do give credit to the Giants with Daniel Jones. He just makes a couple plays. And the receivers that can get open, too. It's a nice receiving core they got there with Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and Golden Tate all there with a couple of those other guys, too. So impressed by the Giants, and it was a nice win for them. And they, even though they're 3-7, and seven, I believe, now they actually might be the best team in this dumpster fire division, which is crazy. But moving on, we have the Packers survive the Jaguars scare, 24-20. to both teams kind of struggled early. Keenan Cole really got the Jaguars going with that impressive 91-yard punt return touchdown he had where he made a nice little move to shake everyone and then put a really nice move on the punter, made him stumble badly. And it was, like I said, though, it was a l- ugly game for just most of the night, but Packers were able to pull out a tough one. Rodgers was still pretty good. He had two touchdowns, 325 yards. He had a really bad interception, but I know that he was dealt with a couple of really bad drops by his receivers receivers too so I don't put a lot of that on Rodgers. Jerome Robinson continues to impress. That's another breakout guy this year that not many people saw coming. He had 104 rushing yards and I was impressed by him but unfortunately for the Jaguars when Jake Lutton is your quarterback you're not going to win many games and he could not get it done late. I understand it was fourth down and he was kind of scrambling all over the place but because it's fourth down you got to still try to throw it up the field rather than check it down to your running back who's trying to make an insane sideline snag on fourth down as it with very little time left in the game. So not the best game by Lutton. And they Minshew played. They might have even been able to pull off the upset, which would have been crazy. But shifting to our next game, we have the Buccaneers bouncing back versus the Panthers, 46-23. Brady did a great job getting all the receivers and all the weapons involved. 341 yards with three touchdowns. Brown, Evans, Brate, 
Gronk, AB, everyone ate, especially Ronald Jones, who had 192 rushing yards, with the majority of them coming on the 98-yard rushing touchdown he had. That was an impressive play, and I've been really impressed by Jones this year. He had a fumble early, but he more than made up for it right there. And the Panthers got off to a good first-half start, took advantage of that Ronald Jones fumble, scored. The game was tied at 17-all, but they only scored seven points in the second half. This Tampa run defense did very good job shutting out Mike Davis with no McCaffrey involved. And it's also really unfortunate for the Panthers that Teddy Bridgewater went down with an injury. We don't know how much time he's going to miss, but DJ Moore continues to impress too. He had 96 yards in this game and is, continues to evolve as a complete receiver. And shifting to our next game, we have the Steelers steamrolling the Bengals, 36-10. to Roethlisberger was really impressive. Missed all week because of COVID, was dealing with COVID contract tracing. He didn't have it specifically, but dealing with all that, and he had a ton of injuries. We all saw the photos of all the ice and the stuff he had on there. And to still go out there and throw for 333 yards and four touchdowns was very impressive, especially with the Steelers got a bunch of young receivers, but they're very inconsistent, all the guys are. They're very up and down. Last They played pretty good yesterday, but they have moments where they'll have some bad drops and stuff. So, But either way, it's nice to have a veteran leader like Roethlisberger leading the charge, especially when their run game is so up and down. But the defense also, we got to give them some credit. They had two turnovers, and they also had four sacks on Burrow. We're constantly hitting him, making him uncomfortable. They only scored 10 points, so they did a really good job holding a pretty good Bengals offense, as we talked about. They got Burrow, and they got some of those weapons. No Joe Mixon, but still impressive to hold him to 10 points, and they did a really good job of making Burrow uncomfortable in that pocket. Really quick before we shift off this game, I want to talk about T.J. Watt. I think he should be the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year right now, and that's hard for me to stay considering I'm a huge fan of Aaron Donald and think he is the best player in the NFL, but he's got nine and a half sacks, and he, of the guys who are in the top five in sacks, he drops in coverage more than any of them. So he has the least amount of pass rush reps of anyone in the top five. He also has the most solo tackles of anyone in the top five. He has 16 tackles for loss, most of anyone in the top five. Six passes deflected, most of anyone in the top five. And he also has an interception, more than anyone in the top five in sack leaders. Now, he has, doesn't, hasn't forced a fumble yet, but I feel like that's coming on. But I feel like TJ Watt has been really impressive, the leader of this unbelievable steel curtain defense, and deserves to be the defensive player of the year front runner right now. Moving on to our next game, we have the Raiders ravaging the Broncos, 37-12. to 12. Ooh, it was a rough one for Drew Locke, who threw four interceptions and completed less than 50% of his passes. The Raiders' rushing game was on point today, and that was a big thing, too. Once Locke turned the ball over, the Raiders were able to control the clock and not let their offense get on the field as much. They ran for 203 yards and four touchdowns. Former Ute Devontae Booker got in there, too, getting two touchdowns, while Josh Jacobs had the other one. But this is what the Raiders are built on, this strong running game, and Derek Carr just has to make a couple of throws in a couple of plays. And he's usually able to do that. He just didn't need to do it because how dominant this young Raiders defense was playing. I've talked about before how impressed I how I've been by their young secondary with Jonathan Abram and those guys back there. And the D-line continues to get a little bit better. Mad Max Crosby and Clellan Farrell get a little more pressure in there. So Raiders are fun. I think they're going to make the playoffs this year, but down the line, I'll be really interested to see what they can do. And when you're talking about Denver, the Broncos, they just have a lot of work to do on both sides of the ball. Defense didn't play great. Offensively, couldn't run the ball. And we talked about lock struggles. This team definitely misses Cortland Sutton, too. I think that's a big thing. So be interesting to see how the rest of the season unfolds for them because it doesn't look like they're going to be able to turn it around. 
Moving on to our next game, we have the Dolphins staying afloat against the Chargers, 29-21. to Now, the final score was a little closer than I think this game was overall. You had the Chargers. They had a blocked punt on their first drive of the game, so that kind of set the tone. Dolphins were able to score right there, and they were able to take a 17-7 lead at the half. The Chargers did go on a nice little run and pulled within three, but unfortunately, Justin Herbert did throw that late interception and that kind of sealed the game. I continue to be so impressed by two. Yes, only 169 yards and two touchdowns, but he's just doing such a good job managing the game, not making mistakes, and that's why he's a starter. Fitzpatrick makes those mistakes a lot of times. Tua does not. He's a very good game manager at this point in his career, and I continue to be impressed by his play. And also, just this Dolphins, their defense, the special teams play, they continue to, they're just so good on those things. They're so disciplined, and because they're so disciplined in those phases, and I give a ton of credit to the players too, but I really think Brian Flores should be the leader for the coach of the year race. I love Mike Tomlin. He's incredible. And I'm going to talk about him a little bit more later, but I really think Flores for what he's getting out of these guys and the culture they've already established in the second year there deserves to be the front runner for coach of the year. Moving on, we have the Saints recovering after a slow start versus the 49ers, 27-13. The 49ers got off to a 10 to nothing lead, and it didn't look good. It looked like, oh no, could the Saints get upset? Well, that defense finally tightened down, and they only allowed three points the rest of the game. They also for, they held them to 49 rushing yards for the entire game, and they forced Nick Mullins into two interceptions. They also roughed him up a lot. Marcus Davenport getting healthy is huge. Cam Jordan, Trey Hendricks, Sheldon Rankins. We know they got some depth there. I, I really like this Saints defense, and I think they're playing well at the right time they're really starting to hit their stride at a good moment in the season and they're going to need to continue to play well because Drew Brees has five broken ribs and is going to miss some time so it's Jameis Winston time and we'll see how Sean Payton does with him at the helm things went pretty well with Teddy Bridgewater last year but Bridgewater doesn't take as many risks as 30 interception Jameis Winston so we'll see what factor Taysom Hill plays now as well because he's the more the stereotypical backup now his role reduced when Teddy took over because like oh you're the backup we can't just risk you running around out there and getting hurt because we need you to come in if Jameis gets hurt. So interesting to see what happens there. Also, Alvin Kamara continuing to impress him with three touchdowns and 98 overall yards. He is a great weapon for this team to have. Shifting to our next game, we have the Rams beating the Seahawks 23-16. to The Rams' defense was very impressive, I thought, in this game. You get the D-line pressure, Leonard Williams, the rest, Sebastian Joseph Day was also getting after it a little bit, I noticed. And, of course, you got Aaron Donald and Brockers in there as well. But this Rams secondary... With Darius Williams, who was the one who had two picks and just made a number of incredible plays, I thought. And, of course, Jalen Ramsey had his best game of the season, locking up everyone, holding DK Metcalf to only two targets when guarding him. I thought Ramsey had his best game of the season and looked to be returning to his Jacksonville form. Jared Goff was also really good. He didn't have a touchdown, but threw for 302 yards and three touchdowns. He made a ton of—oh, not three touchdowns, sorry, 302 yards and had a ton of huge third down moving the chains. He did a really good job. John Reynolds had a big day. Cooper Cup, Higby, Everett got involved a little too. I was just very, I thought Goff played a really good game. And the three-headed rushing attack with Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown. Those guys rushed for 106 yards, breaking off a couple big runs, helping them control the clock as well. So impressed by this Rams team overall. It was a really good performance by them. And when you look at the Seahawks, this game, they made a lot of mistakes. I mean, it was still 23-16 and there were so many instances where Seattle beat themselves you get Russ could have ran for the first down throws it across his body with little time remaining in the half ends up getting a pick they don't get to score there you get some drops in there as well the O-line could did a horrible job protecting him and the running back play is still just average you get because you get Alex Collins is filled in admirably but you're down Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson it's a big loss for them 
I just, yeah, and I continue to be, I was just surprised at Russ. I thought he missed a couple of throws too. That was another thing that I found disappointing. Now this defense is getting a little bit better because Jamal Adams is back. He had Damian Snacks Harrison elevate him off the practice squad. They're doing a good job stuffing teams in the run game. Their front seven, like I said, because Adams is best in the box is good. Unfortunately, they're not going to be able to cover anyone all year. And that's just, just something that's unfortunately not going to change anytime soon. Moving on to our next game, we have the Cardinals' insane win over the Bills. Both teams moved the ball early, but a lot of them had to settle for field goals with only the Bills scoring a first-half touchdown courtesy of that handoff throwback to Josh Allen. So they got off to the 16-9 lead, and the Cardinals fumble. Kenyon Drake fumbles right out of the half, and that gives the... Bills a 23-9 lead, and it doesn't look good. But then the Cardinals turn it around, and they go on a 17-0 run. And then it, Josh Allen starts to turn the ball over. throws two interceptions. So it's now it's like, oh, man, the Cardinals got control of this. Looks like they're going to win. But Josh Allen came back, and he had a nice touchdown throw to Diggs, diving for the 20-yard touchdown with only 34 seconds left in the game. So you think the Cardinals were done. But Kyler said not today. He moved it down the field a little bit, and with about 10 seconds left, takes a snap, rolls out left, just completely uncorks it, the Hale Murray, as we're calling it, just throws it up there. You get DeAndre Hopkins, who's guarded by who's guarded by Tredavious White, Jordan Proyer, and Micah Hyde. They're three best guys in their secondary. And Hopkins, wearing the Jumpman gloves, so fitting, goes up there and snags that thing out of the air, pulls it down, game-winning pull-ahead touchdown with a second left in the game. It's the play of the year and an incredible play by Hopkins. It's a really nice throw by Murray, but you got to give credit to Hopkins for tracking that ball, going up to get it with so many guys crowded around him. So, so impressed by this Cardinals team for winning that game. So tough. Fun facts about this game, too. It was the game that has the two leading receivers in the NFL. Diggs is number one in yards, and number two is Hopkins. Also, Cole Beasley was impressive with 109 yards. And if you're a Cardinals fan, it was great to see the rushing game get going 217 yards this year. And it wasn't all just Kyler, which is really nice. Though Kyler does have the second highest running grade in the NFL for all players, only Dalvin Cook is a little bit better. And I'm also just continuing to be so impressed by Vance Joseph and what he does out there. I think he does such a good job as their defensive coordinator and using different personnels and getting after the quarterback despite having not the best defensive line personnel, I'd say. The secondary's played really well, though, so give him credit there. And moving on to Sunday Night Football, we have the Patriots shocking the world 23-17. to Another game with some awful weather, raining, windy, hard to see the field at sometimes because of how bad the weather was. The Patriots were able to take advantage of Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams being out by rushing for 173 yards. They kind of dumped the playbook out too, trying to score any ways they could. They had a nice Jacoby Myers, their number one receiver right now, threw a nice touchdown pass to Rex Burkhead. And I also thought Cam, look, it was not good weather, so it was going to be hard for both quarterbacks. I thought Cam was very efficient, 13 for 17, 118 yards, and one touchdown. So I was, I did think Cam played a solid game, but looking at the Ravens' perspective, I, you hold a team to 23 points in the NFL, your offense should still be able to get done, in my opinion. And yes, we talked about the injuries on defense were a little, were kind of what factored into it. And the Patriots got creative and used some trickery, so I give the Patriots credit there. But this Ravens offense, they just continue to struggle. And I'm not going to put it on Lamar this time around. I have blamed him in the past, but 249 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, he had one interception and he threw the ball way too far behind. Marquise Hollywood Brown should have let him way more. It was not a very good throw there. But he also led this team in rushing. The rest of this offense needs to step up. The Ravens wide receivers, they're not playing very well right now. The O-line is missing some guys because we get Ronnie Stanley out. Didn't do a good job replacing Marshall Yonda. They're struggling. The running backs, oh, they're all right. Nice to get Mark Ingram back, but that goes back to the O-line. And most importantly, 
Greg Roman needs to start doing a better job as an offensive coordinator, I think. His passing game concepts just really lack. He's an unbelievable run game coordinator, but from a passing game perspective, I just think he needs to step up and is not doing a good enough job in that regard. And finally, for our last game of the week, we shift to Monday night where the Vikings vanquish the Bears 19-13. The Bears' offense is terrible. They had 14 yards for most of the second half till that final drive when I don't even know the backup's name for fullest. You guys can, I mean, he doesn't even deserve to have his name mentioned. And hopefully Mitch Trubisky is back. And it's, Mitch Trubisky's not great, but he's a whole lot better than what they threw out there after Foles got hurt for that last drive. Hopefully he has a speedy recovery for Foles too, because this offense will be even worse if they use that guy instead. They had six points for most of the night. They got up to, they were able to get up to 13 just because Cordell Patterson had an unbelievable 104-yard kick return to open the second half, which Mike Zimmer was very not happy about that his special teams coordinator kicked it to the former Viking in Patterson. Now, I'm sure the game plan was not to ever let him get the opportunity, and I believe Patterson actually tied Devin Hester for most kick return touchdowns in NFL history, so he's probably the second best return man to ever play the game, so credit to Patterson for that, but also got a shift to now the Vikings offense. I was very impressed by them. Yes, they struggled to run the ball a little bit. Cook did, oh, barely got over three yards per carry, and they did a really good job stifling him. And they even got a little better running the ball because Akeem Hicks went out of the game. He was really shutting it down. But I thought Kirk Cousins was really good. 292 yards, two touchdowns, and was just wheeling and dealing out there. Really efficient, standing strong in the pocket. The Vikings O-line did a pretty good job in pass protection, too, on a, obviously a really good Chicago Bears front seven. And he did a good job finding the open man, hitting guys. He was 14 for 16 in the first half, I believe. It was insane. He was just, he was really doing a good job out there. Justin Jefferson continues to shine as a rookie, 135 yards, and made all the Bears DBs look silly at least once in the game. Adam Thielen had a strange game. He had two touchdowns, the first one being that one-hander that was a really impressive catch. But that interception for him was, I mean, it was thrown to hit him right in the arm and then bounces off and Khalil Mack picks it off. That's just a strange play for Thielen, so... I, it was a weird game for him, but overall still getting two touchdowns is nice. He actually is tied for the NFL leader, I believe, with nine, even though he's not high up there in yards. And moving on, we have the Vikings defense I also got a touch on here because I was very impressed by their play. Yes, it's against a really, 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 really bad Chicago offense, but they haven't been very good this year, and they're starting to rebound and round into form. So props to the Vikings for getting a nice win. They're fourth, no, they're third in a row. Sorry, they're third in a row. So Vikings still have a chance to get in that playoff conversation. It'll be interesting to monitor them. All right, finally, it's time for my takeaway of the week. For, and then we'll close out and we'll shift to the NBA, but I got to get this in there. The Steelers have a really good chance to be the second ever 16-0 team ever, and I don't think enough people are talking about it. I mean, we're talking about they could be as one of the best regular season teams to ever play the game, and they're getting no hype. Sitting at 9-0 right now, here's the rest of their schedule. They play at Jacksonville this week. That should be a win. They host the Ravens on Thanksgiving, Thursday night. That'll be a fun one, but I expect them to win. They beat them earlier, and the Ravens are still trying to figure out their footing right now. Then they have a home game versus the Washington football team. Obviously a win. They're going to travel to Buffalo, but I think they're going to get, they're going to shut down the Bills' rushing attack, which everyone does, but either way. And I think they're going to do a good job on Josh Allen. He will make a couple of plays, but also this Bills' defense is very up and down, so I think Steelers win that one. You get a win at the Bengals. They have a home game against the Colts, which is the final score is that's going to be like 6-3. to three. You get the two best defenses in the NFL going at it. It'll be a fun football game. It'll be a repeat of the basically the Super Bowl we saw a couple of years when the Patriots won 13 to six but I think the Colts will squeak one out just barely I think Ben will make a play or two or that defense will pick off Philip Rivers because actually I gosh I don't know which offense I trust more but I think they'll squeeze that one out and the only reason they shouldn't win 
even though they're going to Cleveland in the last week of the season, is if they rest all their guys because they should have the number one seed locked up. But I really think this could be a 16-0 and team. And the biggest reason for that is is this defense. We talked about that defensive line led by Watt, Dupree, Cam Hayward, Stephen Tuitt, Aluale, I think is their nose tackle. That group gets after it. The inside linebackers, the weakness after the Devin Bush injury. But those guys still play pretty good. Vance Williams you're talking about and the trade for Avery Williams rounded in a form like that group as well. And then when you shift into the secondary, Terrell Edmonds having his best year as a pro. Minka Fitzpatrick continues to play really well creating some turnovers. And we get Joe Hayden and Steven Nelson, some older corners who continue to hold it down. Now, the offense is the thing I'm very up and down on. Like I said, I think they're very middle of the road. They're probably a little below average, but I trust Ben. And I know they have inconsistent wide receivers, but one of them will at least be good on on a game. So if you, even if the other guys are struggling, you're going to get a couple plays out of Eric Ebron and let's say one, and at least one of them is going to go off. So I trust them in that regard. And the rushing attack, it's, it's not going to be great, I don't think, but they should be able to get some tough yards. James Conner's streaky, and so is that offensive line. So as long as they protect Ben, and I, I think they'll be all right. And we know they're really well coached by Mike Tomlin also. Got to throw that in there. Love Mike Tomlin. Think he's a great, phenomenal coach. So I really think this team's going to go 16-0 and going to be one of the best regular season teams ever. And they're at least going to make it to the AFC Championship game. If they go beyond that, we'll have to wait and see how they look in the playoffs. But the Steelers are, his, are going to be a historic regular season team. That's going to do it for the NFL talk, but we can finally shift over to a ton of NBA action because there was a lot this week. First up, we have the Chris Paul trade to the Suns. Getting the trade embargo lifted was unbelievably awesome, and there was a ton of action right away. But like I said, Chris Paul to the Suns. Love this move for Phoenix, giving up Rubio, Oubre, a future first, and some young guys. If you're a Suns fan to me, you should be ecstatic about this because it's about winning right now. Prioritize winning right now. How many young assets have you collected over the years? Go get your guy. You have this two to three year window with Paul where you can help mentor your guys. Booker wanted to play with him as well. So keep your superstars happy. Really like this move for the Suns. And I think it's a great move for Chris Paul who has a connection with Monty Williams. And he also wanted to play with Devin Booker. So excited to see what Phoenix does. And I think they're a playoff lock now with his addition. Also the Lakers moving off of Danny Green's not a great contract and they gave up a pick. But to get Dennis Schroeder last year's sixth man of the year, I like the way he fits in his tenacity. Good move for for them and Sam Presti how about that 17 first pit round picks for the next seven years a few he took a few of them last night but either way I was I could not believe how much Presti has done acquiring assets but there was one move I was not a fan of and it was the Thunder acquiring Al Horford for the 34th pick and a 2025 first Horford has three years and 27 million left on his deal I thought the priority for the Thunder was going to be not taking on guys with these bad contracts. I don't think anyone's going to want that Horford contract. So I think they're going to be stuck with it for a long time to come. So not a fan of this move by Presti, but I will give him some credit for at least get, at least taking a swing for the fences. Like we said, acquiring all those first round picks got to be commended for something, but the 76ers got Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson in this trade, but they weren't done adding shooters because they also traded with the Mavs for Seth Curry. Continue to add shooters and get the family reunion. If you've all seen this things, Doc Rivers is Seth Curry's, father-in-law so you get the little family dynamic there and I think he fits very well with Ben and Joel gonna do a great job spacing the floor for them just like Green will Green's not the best he's overpaid but he can still make some big time shots for you for the Mavs perspective of this trade they bring in Josh Richardson the Mavs offense was historic last year but if you want to win a title you need some defense and I really like the way Richardson pairs next to Luka and I think it's going to be a nice pairing they also got the 36th pick in the draft which was a nice move I thought for them as well, able to scoop up some guys. That was probably that might have been dealt somewhere at this point. Honestly, I just, I lost track of how many like second round trades there were, which pick was going where. It was 
really difficult to keep track of. But moving on to our next trade, we have the Rockets sending Robert Covington out to the Portland Trailblazers. Big pickup for Portland, and they just gave up the 16th overall pick. Portland is firmly in their window right now. Covington ain't winning them a title, but he could help them advance in the playoffs with his perimeter defense and ability to hit some big-time threes. The Rockets weren't done trading, though. They would trade the 16th pick. They they would trade the pick they received from the Blazers over to the picks, Pistons. They end up taking Isaiah Stewart, center out of Washington, who I do like, and they gave away Trevor Ariza, who did not want to play for Houston again. I don't I have no idea what the Pistons are doing trading a future first. I would assume they think they're not going to be picking high in the next few years again, depending on how long down the road that future first is. I think that first round pick they gave away would have been more valuable than 16, but time will help. Time will tell. I was not a fan of that move from Detroit's perspective. Now, the biggest name on the move for currently, I'd say, you could argue Chris Paul, but the other biggest name is Drew Holiday, who got traded to the Pelicans for Eric Bloodsoe, George Hill, and three first-round picks. George, Drew Holiday is a really good player. He's not worth three round three first-round picks. Why do you do it? Because you need to keep Giannis. Show Giannis you're committed to winning. By shifting all your mortgage out of the future, you're putting all your chips on the table and saying, hey, man, we want to win this. We're all in on you, and we're willing to do whatever it takes. And I think Giannis should really appreciate that. And we'll end up re-signing with the Bucks because of a move like this. And he's going to love Drew Holiday and the defense he brings in the backcourt. Holiday's been one of the best defenders of the past decade, so really good to have him next to the versatile told defender in Giannis and Lopez's rim protection. The Bucks tried to make another move for Bogdan Bogdanovich, but unfortunately, it completely th- fell through. Was it going to be a sign-in trade? But Bogdanovich said, no, I want to hit free agency. So it was a bummer of a loss for them to lose him, but I'm a little, I'm disappointed in Bogdanovich personally. I thought the Kings forward Bogdanovich. There's also the one on the Jazz. This is the different one. This is the Kings sharpshooting sh- shooting guard. I was really disappointed in him. I think Milwaukee would have gave him a decent deal. He wanted as much money as he can get, which I understand respect, but at the same time, I mean, how many opportunities do you get to compete for a title and play next to Giannis? So a little surprised at his decision there. But moving to another foreign player got moved. The Spaniard Ricky Rubio came is coming back to the Timberwolves. How about that? That was a move I did not see coming at all. And it's going to be interesting to see how he fits next to Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell and Cat, all guys who kind of need the ball. But I think Rubio will buy in defensively there and do a good job getting it out quick to those guys. So it could work out really well. They also, for this, they traded the 17th overall pick, who the Thunder used to select Alexia Poglicheski, who I highlighted last week in my mini-mock draft, just the lottery version. He's a guy with some upside pick, and I really love the pick for the Thunder. And the Timberwolves were able to go back and still get a guy in Jaden McDaniels forward out of Washington, who has a ton of room to develop and become a good player. And finally, hitting on those minor trades, you got to throw in the Nets, who were able to get Landry Shaman. I think a nice player can play alongside. There was a three-team deal. It was Nets, Clippers, Pistons. The Nets got Shamit, play next to Kyrie and potentially James Harden with all that's going on there. Then you get the Clippers, who bring in Luke Kennard, who Kennard averaged 15 points per game last year. He's a really good shooter, and it's kind of fitting he plays on the Clippers now because J.J. Redick was there so for so long, and we always talked about what a, how much he's gained coming out of Duke resembled Redick, so he comes to Redick's longtime home in Los Angeles. That's going to do it for the trades, but I'll, you know what I got to mention really quick? Prayers up to Clay Thompson. I really hope he gets back to form. Horrible news that he suffered another gruesome lower leg injury. I just, you've got to feel for Clay, and you've got to really hope he's able to get back in there. Tearing his Achilles is never a good thing. It's a horrible injury. you got to feel for Clay, and hopefully he's able to return to the form. It's just going to be so hard, but heartbreaking, again, that this continues to happen to Clay Thompson. 
And now shifting over to something with a little more optimism, the NBA draft. I'm going to close it out by kind of talking about some of the lottery picks and some of the other picks that I really liked. Starting off with the Timberwolves at number one. That was one I called last week. You guys know I loved Edwards, thought he was a three-level scorer, and think he'll fit well there. And the, the Rubio thing, I think Rubio will do a good job getting him the ball, developing. Wiseman to Golden State. I think that was a good move. The center need there. LaMelo Ball, Michael Jordan, LeVar Ball, LaMelo Ball. That is going to be quite the show to watch, but I think LaMelo can do well in Charlotte. Bulls take Patrick Williams. That was a little bit of a surprise, but recently Williams has been skyrocketing up draft boards, was the second youngest player in the draft, and I think with some time to develop and sit behind Otto Porter, that'll work out well. Number five, you get Cleveland taking Isaac Okoru. can slide in there as a small forward, and you got such offensive-minded guards in Garland and Sexton. A guy like Okoru who can guard one through four will be a nice asset to this Cleveland team. Atlanta at six taking Oneke Okongwu was not a huge fan of. I would have rather had them take Tyrese Halliburton and because they already have Clint Capella, who I think can still be a really good player. So be interesting to see what's going on with Capella there. It looks like he's going to be on the move again. Seven, you get Killian Hayes for the Pistons. Really like this pick for them. Guy who's really young, got a ton of upside, and is a really good playmaker. So start building around Killian Hayes. Good pick for the Pistons. At eight, the Knicks take Obi Toppin. I was surprised to see Toppin fall a little bit. Thought he'd go a little bit higher. You hope Tom Thibodeau can turn around his defense, but I was really happy for him. You saw how emotional he was to get to New York, and I think he's going to do well there. I do. I'm a huge Toppin fan, so excited for him. At number nine, you get the Wizards going international again. Last year, they take Rui Hachimura out of Japan. This year, Denny Avdi out of Israel. It'll be an interesting fit. I don't know how well Avdia fits next to John Wall, per se, but I like Avdia, so I'm willing to watch and see them work it out. And they got some players in Hachimera, Thomas Bryant, and now Avdia. I like that front court that Washington's assembling. Just when we're talking about those specific players, just interested to see how the puzzle pieces fit together. At the 10th pick, you had Jalen Smith, the power forward out of Maryland. Was not a big fan of this pick. I thought, once again, it was another Halliburton one who could have sat behind Chris Paul, learned from him, and then taken over as the starting point guard. So not the biggest fan of the Smith pick. Devin Vassell of San Antonio, nice 3 and D role player. Tyrese Halliburton of Sacramento, steal of the draft by far to me. Love Halliburton's leadership, and I think he fits well next to Fox. 13, Kyrie Lewis, point guard to Alabama. Can kind of sit and develop, will run the backup point guard, and it'll be interesting to see what he grows into. At 14, you get Aaron Naismith, a nice sharpshooter for the Boston Celtics. I like that move for them. Then you get Cole Anthony was the last one of these early portions I'm specifically going to highlight. Going to Orlando. I really like Anthony's game. I thought he got blamed because of some injuries and tried to play through some rough stuff going on there. So big time get for the Magic. I thought it was grabbing him right there. Polashevsky to the Thunder. Talked about that. Like that move. And also the 76ers getting Tyrese Maxey at 21. I thought I was surprised he fell that far. I think he can be a huge steal. The Pistons getting Sadiq Bay was a nice upgrade for them. He'll develop over time to a really good 3 and D wing. Precious Achua, the power forward out of Memphis going to Miami, is a perfect fit. They're going to develop him and turn him into a really good player. And first round late, I, I love Desmond Bain, last pick of the first round at 30. It says Celtics on the sheet I'm looking at. He's not going to Boston, though. I think he's going to – he's going to Memphis. I love the Memphis pick. And some of my first picks, favorite picks of the second round, hitting on some potential long-term sleepers. Tyrell Terry, how can you not love Tyrell Terry? He's going to be really good playing next to Luka, and I think that's why they traded Steph Curry is once they got Terry, it's like – we got the guy who can come and hit some big-time shots. Not very good defensively, so he fills that role for Steph Curry. But I think he can grow into a really good shooter 
like Curry was. Clippers getting Daniel Oturu. I really think he can develop for them and become their starting center one day. So I really liked that move there. And now let's go way down the draft board for I thought the biggest deal of the draft was getting Cassius Winston at 53 overall. I'm a huge fan of Cassius Winston. Funny enough, Cassius Stanley, who shares the same name, guard out of Duke, went for the Pacers the next pick. It says... Winston's not going to Thunder, it says on here again, but I love Winston as a backup point guard and the stability he brings, so I thought that was an awesome move for them. And I think that's the biggest sleeper of the second round is Winston falling to 53. He might not, He's never going to be an all-star, but he's going to run your second units. He's just going to be around the league for a long time to come. So it was an exciting draft. It went a little bit. The top three went as expected. There was not a ton of trades and major shakeups, except for if you factor in the Rubio one, I guess. A lot of minor trades and stuff like that, but I was... I really enjoyed the draft last night. I thought it was fun. It'll be interesting to see how these guys pan out. We get free agency starting in 48 hours, I believe. So it'll also be fun to look at that. And I'll be back next week talking about the bigger free agent moves. It's a quiet free agent class, so I'm sure I'll be highlighting a lot of the underrated moves. And we'll obviously be recapping the NFL once again. So thank you guys for listening. Huge thanks to you guys who tuned in yesterday for the mock draft special I did with Leaf. Huge thanks to him for coming on and doing that with me. It was a lot of fun. And always appreciate your guys' support and the listen. Sorry for going a little long. Sign and off.